Hello sword people, this is Guy Windsor, also known as the Sword Guy, and I'm here today with Fran Laquata, who is lead instructor at the School of the Sword, co-founder of the Waterloo Sparring Group, co-founder of Esfinghez, and organises events such as By the Sword, the Albion Cup and the Wessex League. So Fran, welcome to the show. Hi Guy, thanks for having me. You're very welcome, nice to see you. Nice to see you. Now, first question. Whereabouts are you? So um, I'm so I'm in um, I'll stop saying um so I'm in Godalming in Surrey, which mm -hmm. is about twenty five miles uh, south of central London in the uh, Surrey countryside. It's a pretty little market town where uh, the School of the Sword has a chapter, and we have other chapters in Reading and Oxford, which is where we were originally founded. Ah, I didn't know that. Hmm. Um, so, uh, what made you want to start with historical martial arts? So, what like, brought you in? What took me in? Um, so, like a lot of people, I find that people tend to either seek out HEMA or, or historical martial arts, or they fall into it by accident. And I'm mm -hmm. in the latter category. I completely stumbled into it and fell down this rabbit hole, and I'm still here, <laughs> uh, still tumbling down. Um, yes. So I'd had I'd had my second child not long before, and I went along to a class just to see what it was about. Mm -hmm. And my parents had encouraged me, "Go on, just get out of the house. You know, you're right. going stir crazy. You need to. You need a hobby." So and they they offered to babysit, I hope. They offered to babysit, of course. That's and um, <laughs> so that's fantastic. Yeah, they encouraged me, and I think they regret it now, because I asked oh, I them to it. babysit over and over again, so that I could keep Excellent. going to training. And I just got completely hooked. It, it ticked all the boxes uh, that I didn't even know needed ticking. Okay. So like. you know, it was a, a physical activity, uh, something mm -hmm. to get you moving. Um, I I've never ever been a sporty person, but it was I didn't realize that I needed a physical activity, uh, something to, you know, to work my coordination, something to, um, something to engage my brain, not only mm -hmm. in the physical aspects and the strate strategic aspects of fencing, but also the research elements and the historical interests and insights of historical fencing the mm -hmm. contexts um so yeah it, it was and there's of course there's the social side of being yes. part of a group of, of people who are also just as passionate as you are and that sort of camaraderie was very very tempting and very interesting uh, for someone who'd never even imagined that uh, this sort of activity even existed right excellent and so what um, styles do you do? So I started out like every member of the School of the Sword. Um, we begin, well, now in Oxford they start with the long sword, but in Reading and Godalming, the foundational weapon that, that we train everyone up with is sword and buckler. Um, okay. And then we then go on to other companion weapons and, mm -hmm. and then eventually the idea is that you, you graduate to rapier event uh, the view to going on to rapier and the companion arms for that but mm -hmm. we do all kinds of things uh, we recent well before the lockdown we recently did a course on uh, Spadoni 
and we mm-hmm. do Polaxe, uh, we do Dagger, we do Unarmed, we do all, and Sabre, Sabre is another mm. one that we're looking into, so we do, we do a large selection of things, it used to be just Rapier, and then it was Rapier right. and Side Sword, and then right. it's like only 16th and 17th century Italy, and now it's become yep. 15th, 16th and 17th century, <laughs> so, so it's like, as long as it's in Italy, we'll do it, kind of thing. Right, so, so yeah, so, <laughs> So ra- rapier was the gateway drug. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, well, I'd Excellent. say side side sword was my first love. Um, I stu- okay, so that I was. Sorry. Side sword and buckler. Sword and buckler, yeah. Side sword and buckler. Yeah. Okay, so we're talking bolognese. Bolognese, the bolognese system, yeah. Yeah. Very much. Um, okay. But yeah, I think I will confess that I, you know, people associate me with the rapier, but I will confess that I really struggled to like rapier for the first year <laughs> a lot of people do all i wanted was my comfort blanket of my side sword and my, my buckler back please <laughs> take this pointy object away from me and give me what i'm used to but it it, it one day the penny dropped um and everything mm. kind of clicked into place and then i absolutely loved it um but it it was a, sh- a very steep curve like a lot of people find yes yes it's one of the harder weapons to get people really comfortable with us yeah very but the bonus is what if you're comfortable with a rapier learning other things is a lot easier it's like if you're the way i think of it is like it's like learning a language if you can learn a really difficult language yes then learning a much uh, not easier but a more straightforward language doesn't seem as much of a trial i I had that experience with finnish and italian oh gosh yes Perfect, perfect example. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Two, two years of hard work and I could barely hold a basic conversation in Finnish and two months of hard work and I could chat to my um, Italian uh, historical fencing friends in Italian. And it was, yeah, not, not particularly good Italian, but still. But you couldn't do it. Yes, yeah. Or at least I could then. <laughs> uh, it's, been, it's been a while. I need to get back to Italy, as do we all. Yeah. All right. Um, do you have a particular favourite in, in amongst that, that lot now? or uh, Favourite weapon? Yeah. Well, lately, lately I've been really getting into Spadoni. Um, mm. Not because I think I'm particularly good at it or anything. It's just something that I enjoy because it's a holist- I find it very holistic uh, yes. in terms of it mm. engages all your muscles. Yep. And... For, and also, you know, in order to do it well, you have to be doing, you have to have really good form. And it's, yes. it, I, I give it to my beginners actually uh, very early on just to mm-hmm. show them physically. It's because it gives you instant feedback. Um, yes. And it, if it's, if you're doing, if you, you cannot do the thing unless you do it right kind of thing, um, it's impossible mm. to do it. Um, yeah. You- you can't Unless just muscle through it. Yeah, you can't just muscle yeah. your way through. You have to have your proper body mechanics uh, in place in order to make it work, or you're going to be very injured. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. But I, I enjoy I enjoy Spadoni for that reason. I find it quite meditative because you cannot spar with it. It's something. It's very much a solo activity. Um, and even in the mm-hmm. context of of what it was used for, it is basically. It, it's not a dueling weapon. It's not you and the opponent. It's you against the world kind of thing. It's a different kind of yeah. mindset. So, 
So um, you subscribe to the theory that it's primarily for sort of bodyguard use. I yeah, I, I kind use. of think of it as in a. It's what did uh, someone um, someone described it as Renaissance tear gas. Ah, okay. Yeah. That's, a, that's a really good description. <laughs> so okay. dispersing, dispersing a rabble. Um, <laughs> <laughs> or, or clear, just clearing a path. Uh, right. It, it is uh, is one thing. Or uh, yeah, there is there. There's it's like you know working through Figueredo or Alfieri. Mm-hmm. It's he they they both present you with all these different scenarios in which right. the technique is applicable. And so it's nice because you can visualise, you know, yeah. what you're doing and why. Um, whether it's defending uh, a person in a narrow alleyway, uh, fending people off on all sides, or fighting on a on a ship or something like that without hurting the rowers, yeah. kind of thing. Yep. Yeah. yeah, it's a fascinating weapon. Yeah. Um, and I should be doing more of it. <laughs> um, so. Is there anything you think you should be adding to your practice? Anything you skip over? Uh, I need to be stronger, and okay. I, from the process, through talking to my peers who practice a lot of strength training, I've come mm-hmm. to realise that we're all, all, everyone's got into weightlifting in recent years. Um, mm-hmm. You know, lifting up a sword just isn't enough. Strength training has become really important to a lot of people. But I've come sure. to realise that it isn't just uh, so you've got amazing guns and, uh, you know, the sword is light in your hands. It's injury prevention. Um, Absolutely. Which, uh, as we all get older, we suddenly become, well, we, we gradually become more conscious of, of injuries. And a lot of the injuries that people experience through sword play aren't the ones that you think of. It, it isn't, you know, the busted uh, noses and uh, broken fingers. Sure. It's the long-term chronic uh, tendon and joint damage that can happen. And these are the things that people don't really tend to talk about because long-term chronic um, chronic conditions are just something that you live with and it's not something that's, that is going to be brought up. Um, you know, it doesn't have mm. that, that shock value of an in, you know, a bleeding wound or, or sure. a broken finger. Um, so, you know, it's, it's something that I think is really important Um I, I always, couldn't agree more. Yeah, I always, I always take care when people are coming into to the historical martial arts to make sure that injury prevention is part of their consciousness and it's part of their practice because yep. there's that initial excitement of picking up a sword and swinging it around with, with muscles that you've, you know, that haven't done that before. Uh, the the risk is of self-injury is great, so I think yeah, for the sake of injury prevention i should be doing more weight uh, strength training i absolutely abhor okay. cardio so <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if there's something i'm gonna do it's, it's picking up heavy things and putting them down again yeah I, it's a good good thing to be doing yeah uh, i incorporate quite a lot of weights myself um in fact when i was in my early 20s my yeah. wrists were completely wrecked with tendonitis yes and i was working as a cabinet maker and i had to choose between like doing woodwork for my job and swinging swords around. And oh, it was gosh. a brutal choice to have to make. It was awful. Uh, but a, a friend of mine who's a Kung Fu instructor, who comes from a Kung Fu tradition, that has all sorts of medical stuff. He showed me some weight. Well, he did this incredibly painful massage on my wrists. Oof. And then he showed me some weight training 
exercises for my wrists and then he showed me how to do the massage and stuff as well and literally in a day so long as i do my maintenance i have no wrist problems and you're still doing like, these i take it yeah 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 i mean what, 20 years later i'm still doing them yeah um it, it literally gave me my career so i am i am wow. entirely about the injury prevention so yeah. in fact it was kind of lucky that i had such crap wrists because if i was one of those naturally robust people I wouldn't know anything about this stuff and so yes. my students wouldn't know about it either but because i broke early yeah and made had you to have that, that fixed yeah, yeah. well I'm, i don't know if it made me stronger but it certainly made me um more aware that you know bodies aren't perfect and bodies break and we should work really hard made to make you get sure the maintenance happen. in early on so that's right yeah um so i'm I'm hoping to peak in my 60s and I'm 46 <laughs> now, so I got <laughs> Anyway, um, so, yeah, on the subject of injuries, yes. obviously, you know, the, the, the classic fencing injury that people think of is getting, you know, your fingers broken or smacked in the face with a sword or whatever. Yeah. And equipment is one of the things that um, is supposed to prevent that. Yes. I have my own theories about such things. Yes. Um, and of course, with Corona, uh, you know, masks and what have you are on everybody's minds already. Yeah. So what's your what's your view of the available protective equipment? Uh, what could be better? What, what could um, be fixed? I think that equipment has come on in leaps and bounds in recent years. Um, when mm -hmm. I think back to I started in 2010 which probably doesn't seem that long ago to you, but um, <laughs> it, it was it was very basic at the time. Uh, we were still fighting with wooden swords and, um, right. you know, they... We, there was, nylons had, hadn't appeared yet. Um, and the protective gear available, I think, you know, the typical thing you think of is masks haven't really changed all that much. Um, sure. It's, it's probably the fact that, you know, they've got slightly better mesh on some of them. Mm -hmm. uh, they haven't really altered that much. But things like gloves have changed an awful lot. Um, I sing the praises of um, sparring gloves an awful lot because they basically enabled... I felt like when I got a pair of sparring gloves, uh, the five-fingered type, one of the earlier types mm -hmm. that... I know a lot of people don't recommend because they've had injuries, but I wouldn't really recommend these for long sword. I, I, I use it for side sword. Right. Um, for this thing in particular, it helped me become a different fencer. I could, sud I could suddenly go from being fearful of injury and fencing in a particularly mm -hmm. um, conservative... I didn't, what I didn't realise I was doing, I was fighting in a, fencing in a particularly conservative way. Uh, and mm -hmm. you know not taking any risks at all to being able to do things that i couldn't do because if i if i if i tried to do an uh, attempted to do something and i and i took a uh hit to the hand it wasn't going to put me out of training for weeks on end i could i could take more risks and i could try more things until i could do that mm -hmm. thing that i was trying that technique that i was attempting to do i could do it properly it just it allowed yeah. me to level up just that one small change sure um well it made failure survivable sorry it made failure survivable so yes, you could exactly. to fail it made in failure survivable. Yeah. i like that um but i mean gloves is a is the holy grail 
Um, I did a little survey when I was in Hesfinhes uh, of the... This was... Someone was asking me about glove sizes and women's hands. And I just asked the, the members of the group um, a quick question about do you have difficulty finding gloves that fit? And it turned out, I think this this could be wrong, could be remembering it wrong, but at, at least half of the people who responded, and it was, uh, I think it was about 200 people on this little questionnaire, right. at least half of them um, were smaller, their hands were smaller than a size small. Right. So wow. the smallest glove doesn't fit half of the women that practice historical <laughs> But I mean that's, that's 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 a common theme though, like yeah. because you know one size fits all means one size fits all men generally. Or fits none. One, or fits no. Well, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, I think and some of these women like extra small uh, mm-hmm. is too big still. Um, and of sure. course, with all the articulated movements of a protective glove, the smaller the glove gets, the harder it is um, to get it to fit. Um, Sure. So I think, you know, that there are a lot of hurdles to women when it comes to entering martial arts and equipment sure. is a big one. Yep. Uh, I don't I don't think people realise this and I certainly didn't realise it until it was demonstrated to me, as I just said, like just mm-hmm. how my fencing just took off. I was able to compete. I was able to do more things than I could have done um, for several years. Um, so, yeah, and my, my fencing gear has come well i still have the same jacket i had 10 years ago i prefer yeah. not to have the bulkier padded type of jacket mm-hmm. i prefer m- mobility over um padding sort of pad over padding yeah um so but things like you know elbows knees forearms things yeah. like that those have been i've spent a fortune i must have spent more <laughs> on that kind of stuff than i ever have on swords sacks of things i've got through and it's just a it, my my kit is a constant work in progress because i'm not a particularly sure. big person um right I'm, I'm quite short and i've got short limbs and small hands so it's difficult at the best of times to mm-hmm. get things that fit and protect you know it's sure. not just about comfort it is about protecting your own body it's something that's very important to you so yeah it's something that I've always struggled with um people often come to me and ask me where do I where can I buy gloves is a common one like someone will say there's a girl yeah. in a club and she wants to get gloves where does she get them and I'll say well I would get some from from sparring gloves but you know mm-hmm. don't quote me on that because I've had I've had three pairs and only one right. of them fits me I've got one glove from okay. on one hand from one pair mm-hmm. that I bought and yeah. one from another set so it's mm-hmm. it, everything has to be bespoke basically if you're yes. not a six foot yeah. broad chap <laughs> yeah one of, one of the great luxuries of my profession because you know swords are my job yeah. is that I can justify getting all my stuff bespoke and I do because yeah. it's the only way that it really fits yeah and, and my solution for hands is I use steel gauntlets Anytime I'm going to be hit on the hands with a sword, I use steel gauntlets um, with a proper fencing glove that really fits me stitched inside them. Right. So I get I get the tactile sensibility of a fencing glove, but steel plates on the back of everything. And yeah, Taking I mean no you can still get a. Well, I mean you can still get a finger broken through them. Yeah. It's, no, no protection is perfect. Yeah. Um, 
but yeah, and, and I've had the same pair of steel gauntlets now for 15 years. I've gone through at least three different fencing gloves inside them, because mm. um, that wears out quite quickly, because the, you know, the leather in the palm is quite I thin. I can imagine, yeah. And I've replaced rivets and straps in the structure of the gauntlets. Um, but yeah, I mean, that was, it wasn't cheap, but it was money well spent because, you know, they can be repaired and they last and you can put new fencing gloves inside them. So and they yeah, do make fencing gloves, like sport fencing gloves in sizes for, you know, down to children's sizes. So you can always find a pair that fits. Yeah, I buy a lot of kids stuff, actually. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to pay VAT. All my shoes are kids size. <laughs> That's handy. <laughs> um, yeah, so until, until um, you know... Until we get a decent range of sizes in, uh, of equipment, I think bespoke is the way to go for anyone who is uh, yeah. not particularly tall sure. or, you know, doesn't fit the sort of average um, sized fencer. Um, yeah. Gorgets is another one. I, I've i got through a lot of those. Um, yeah. How do, how do you wear out a gorget? I've had the same one for, I'm I made it 20 years out, ago and I'm still wearing to it. Get a, a combination that will allow me to be mobile and uh, okay. protect me so sure my favorite is probably ha has been the steel one from uh, winter tree crafts that's a very good one okay it's not the most comfortable but if you take a thrust to the throat which is very common in rapier um sure. you feel like you're you're not going to get hurt um sometimes i've even been known to wear two gorgets if i'm right. um if I'm if I'm competing because I think because I'm at exactly the right height, my throat right. is at exactly the right height for for a thrust. So I'm very very protective of uh, of that part of my body. So I'll wear a, like a steel well, one underneath and then a padded one over the top. So okay, that's uh, another yeah. Bit but of bespoke is expensive. Yeah. So it kind of leaves smaller people who aren't rich. Yes. In a corner. <laughs> yeah. Um, they, so may, maybe any any manufacturers listening to this might get off their asses and start producing yeah stuff another, for the little people. Yet another Facebook group that I started is uh, Hema Hacks, okay, um, and that's that kind of exploded. And it's and it's basically I started it out with just like you know top tips, you know, put a a sock full of uh, crystal. Um, um, silica gel in your kit bag to absorb so I, the I, sweat. I completed that sentence in my head. Take a sock full of crystal meth. Yeah, crystal meth. Uh, is, no, don't do this. Don't do no. <laughs> so take a sock full of uh, <laughs> silica gel. I was going to yes. say crystal cat litter, but that sounds okay. even worse. Um, okay. Which is basically the same substance. So it, it just yeah. you know, like putting one of those in your kit bag to keep everything rust free. Oh, that's a good idea. Um, lots of little useful, like spray your spray down your gambeson or your jacket with um watered down vodka which is i think is a terrible right. waste and um the other ones were sort of things like uh put a sanitizer gel on your hands this was pre-covid put sanitizer yes. gel on your hands before you put your gloves on and then they don't get that funky dorito smell oh wow okay <laughs> So things I like this. That one either. Yeah, but it's really idea. taken off in just seeing the the creativity in the community, the things that people mm -hmm. do. So we were talking about bespoke kit, people customising their own gear. Um, sure. It's, 
there was a sort of spin-off group. I don't know if it was inspired by this of sort of dodgy feathers and you know mm-hmm. things that have yeah. gone. People have tried to customise kit and done it in a bad way, um, but in the in majority of cases, people have done some fantastic um, ad- adaptations um, to gloves and jackets and all the all the other gear, back of head protectors, and even yeah. like building. Um, training equipment for themselves especially mm-hmm. at a time like this um sure people making their own pels and and it's just yep. it's just really really inspiring to see all the innovation that's out there excellent good um so you know in this time of corona has i imagine your your school has closed for the duration yes uh, um we've just recently uh started to get back we're going to be doing small groups uh, because we're okay. now allowed to gather in groups of up to six so we're looking into right. that now okay um where do you see things going in a year's time in a How year's do you think time fencing will look in a year's time i predict um well they say you know they they, they think there may be a second wave of corona in the winter oh, for sure uh, which will be a lot worse uh, as second waves tend to be um so i don't think you know we, we'll probably find ourselves way back at square one again um mm. in a year's time um but i think in a sort of summer 2021 if we have got past the isolation and the and the quarantine period mm-hmm. it's going to be very small classes um right. and we'll probably just have new uh, habits will be in will just be used to being like we've already become accustomed to giving people a wide berth when we're walking outside yeah. uh that was i remember you know back in march that seemed very strange and uh and it was mm. seemed like an odd thing to do it seemed almost rude yes it did seem really yeah. rude people thought it was rude but now it seems polite yes uh giving people personal space so i think you know these these are going to become new customs of ours new ways of living mm-hmm. um you know sanitizer gel everywhere um washing of hands and keeping distance and just having a having a the, the, the as i say small classes in a large space it's not going to have that coziness that that we are mm. accustomed to i don't think but it it will take it will take some getting used to then human beings are very adaptable Must yes right. so are you doing much stuff over the internet at the moment over the internet in terms yeah. of uh, activity online so i'm <laughs> yeah. to keep me busy in lockdown i'm a very sociable person as i've discovered right. uh and i'm not used to uh, being locked up uh by myself i need human beings i'm a very i'm an mm-hmm. extroverted person um so my things that are keeping me busy combine keeping me busy and other human beings so i do a i've been doing a quiz with a good friend of mine uh yasin Suriadis. Mm-hmm. we do a hema pub quiz uh All right. about once a week <laughs> uh, we're on our we're on our seventh version of the quiz and we're and it's it's a really it's a really good fun he got inspired because he was a hockey coach a nice hockey coach and um he went to a he, he went to a hockey pub quiz and it was it was online uh, it was at the start of, of lockdown and he said let's do a HEMA version so um, we've been doing okay. that 
and it's just nice to sort of get a bunch of, of folks together. Some sometimes it's friends that you know very well. Sometimes it's people you've never met before, and it's and it's lovely to see these sort of names that you see online and and see their mm-hmm. faces and chat to them and stuff, and be passionate about this hobby of ours, and then have mm-hmm. have a good giggle. Um, and on the other side, um, another thing I'm doing to keep me busy and have a have a routine is I do two live streams a week on my instagram uh channel for by the sword uh which is an event that i hold each march not this year obviously Um, and so i came up with the idea of the of the live stream because i'd planned an event in march this year and i had 11 instructors and speakers uh all all women instructors and uh experts and And this was a deliberate deliberate structural feature of the event yes so we had all these people lined up to present Mm -hmm. classes and lectures okay and the event's not happening well it hopefully will happen at the end of the year but i thought in the in the meantime let's i thought i will just do an interview with them one by one so i've been interviewing i've been i've been working my way uh through the ones that we have um were had lined up for this year uh, mm-hmm. But I'm also interviewing um, other instructors that I've had in previous years because this is the, I think, this is the fourth year <laughs> of the right. event. Okay. So um, it's been really interesting because um, so it's been, as I say, sometimes it's people that I've never spoken to before. Sometimes it's really well, good. like this. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. And sometimes... we've, we've emailed back and forth, but we've never yeah. actually talked before. Yeah, it's it's face to face is different, isn't it? So it it's is. it's lovely yeah. to talk to someone for a solid hour about mm-hmm. and not just ask some questions about themselves. And I've, I've I've uncovered all kinds of nuggets about people that I thought I knew. But the thing that surprised me about Sue, uh, Sue Kirk, who I associate I with, know, Sue. I associate. Hang on, do you, do you want me to cut this bit out? It's fine. Like Sue Kirk, okay. for example, I associate Sue with pugilism, small sword, and wrestling. Mm, right. Turns out her HEMA origins are seven years of rapier. Okay. So that completely threw me because she she doesn't <laughs> she doesn't I don't associate her with that at all, and sure. uh, and the, and my good friend Amelia who mm-hmm. is a ardent furist slash right. rapierist turns out yeah. her beginnings were licked now a longsword, and she doesn't oh, like okay. to, she doesn't like to talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> well, we all have skeletons in our yes. closet. Where would people find these conversations if they wanted to? So, if anyone listen? wants to see uh, these chats that I'm having, I do them on Tuesdays and Thursdays, 6 p.m. Mm-hmm. UK time, and they're on my Instagram channel, um, which is by the sword, and the handle for that is at Sword Women. Okay. So they're they're a live stream every week, but they're recorded, so you can watch them afterwards as well. Okay, excellent. So yeah, because this this may not this will be probably going out middle of june end of june maybe so nice that we have a back catalogue for people to catch up on yeah excellent okay so um to get back to the events that you've been organizing mm-hmm. um so you have this event by the sword which has just female instructors yes so yeah. what are the what are the pros and cons of having that kind of demographically targeted event uh, the pros are, I'll be honest, the list of pros mm-hmm. is a lot longer than the list of cons. 
Well, that's why you've been doing it for four years, right? Exactly. Yeah, fine. Um, I, I assume that, but so, but, but, I mean, I can imagine what they might be from my perspective. It's not what you think what is it? Uh, Well, surprising. there we go. Educate me. So, go. women eat a lot less than men, so the food budget is, okay. uh, is smaller. <laughs> I did not expect you to say that. And I, it's not that they eat less, it's that they come prepared. Uh, ah, okay. women, women bring snacks. Um, okay. And and they, they you know, I, I, I budgeted a sort of certain amount of uh, food for for the guests, for the for the participants. And I think I think they only ate about a third of it. Um, wow. So, you know, I, and I know that in sort of co-ed events that I've run, the greatest fear as an event organiser is that you're going to run out of food at the par- at the after party, and that happens very frequently. Right. Uh, pubs and restaurants frequently underestimate how hungry fences can be after a day of mm. of competing and and doing classes. Um, so yeah, it's it's um, the the people who attend tell me over and over again that it's the atmosphere that is the okay. biggest draw. It's just sure. It's a very, it's a very um, open and friendly. Uh, I'm not saying that that regular events aren't friendly, but what what tends to happen is someone will turn up um, who doesn't know anyone, and right. they'll leave on. They'll come on Friday feeling very self like self conscious and anxious, perhaps because they're in a big room with eighty other people that they don't know, mm-hmm. and they'll leave on Sunday with seven you know or eight or, or more like really good pals um sort of Excellent. it's just kind of like am- like some amazing friendships like even like years later people are still really good friends just from meeting at mm. the event but it's i don't know what it is it's um I, I can't quite work out what it is but it is people do just seem to be more a lot more relaxed um right what do you think event. causes that well, it's probably the same thing that compels women to do women's only Zumba classes and yoga classes and things like that, mm-hmm. um, or go to women's only gyms. It's just, you know, um, I'm not I'm not afraid to sort of get into uncomfortable topics, but um, something that I have dealt with, had to deal with online in an online situation, um, something that happens quite frequently, like as a, as a moderator of a Facebook group, is people men um <laughs> who okay, feel you can say it. a lot of gentlemen all right it's gonna it's gonna it's gonna be statistically more likely to be a guy because there are four tar- like four fifths of the human population is male um right. is is if a, if, a, if a woman or a girl puts some uh footage of herself fencing or practicing in her garden or something oh. unsolicited advice will come from somewhere and it's okay. just that judgment it's the fear of someone judging you and people's unsolicited advice is usually from it has no malice in it at all it's just people feel that sure. you know this this uh really strong desire to to help uh, and oh you're yep. doing that wrong you should be doing it like this and um this will make you much better and then you'll thank me um which is a lovely sentiment but it isn't always welcome um, yeah, sure. And and as you can imagine, uh, a lot of women avoid the gym and prefer to do classes. So they they tend to avoid you know the machines and the weights and things because mm-hmm. a helpful person, gentleman, wants to tell her how to do it right. 
when right. she hasn't even asked him. So it's that kind of it's that kind of situation yeah. that yeah. that you, in in an in an all like all female or non-binary room, you mm-hmm. the chance of someone doing that to you is very low, and it just that anxiety. Why do you think that is? Shrugs off. Um, I just conditioning um you know okay. uh, little boys are brought up to be outspoken and give their opinions on things and little girls are taught okay. don't speak out turn keep you you know keep your opinion to yourself and always be polite mm-hmm. and always say please and thank you I mean, i'm really generalizing now but i think women um tend to be not very forthcoming with their opinions they don't want mm. to be ridiculed. They don't want to be, whatever, criticised, uh, and just you know feel, you know that someone is saying that they're wrong. You know, it's it just sure. feels like it feels like um, like being told off when you're a little kid, that kind of feeling. Sure. So I think that's why I think that's why people tend to let their hair down. Um, more because they know that there's less of a chance of someone coming over and criticizing them or mm. offering you know worst case scenarios making advances on them but, oh god yes. yeah and, okay. that, and that that happens too but you, you know kaya sadowski's book fear is the mind killer yes yeah she cites a brilliant study in there which separated students into three groups and one got detailed technical instruction one got kind of vague praise yeah and one got criticism yeah right if i I may be misremembering slightly but the the detailed technical instruction basically didn't help at all (laughs) the the um the criticism didn't help at all the group that did the best were the ones that got vague praise i can believe it right and i I saw that study that came out some years ago um and i was like Okay, and I, I try it in, in, in class all the time, and I spend a lot of my time teaching, literally wandering around the class, smiling at people. Yes. And they come out of it saying, that was a great class, you explained yeah. everything so well. As soon as I actually interfere and try and make technical corrections, it all goes to shit. So. Yeah. I, uh, as an instructor, I find like having the biggest, broadest grin on yeah. helps a lot. And that isn't yeah. difficult, because you know you just see people doing well, and it makes you smile anyway. Right. And just going yeah. around saying to people, you're doing that really well, and just pointing it out to mm. them. And they're like, oh. Yeah. And then they, they, you just see them perk up and they just keep doing it. Um, yeah. I, I, when I started teaching people, uh, I think a lot of people experience this because they don't ever expect to become an instructor. It's sort of, you know, they have mm-hmm. this responsibility thrust upon them by circumstances. Yep. And, you That's know, pretty much what happened to me. Yeah, everybody I've, I've interviewed has said, I didn't want to become an instructor, it just kind of happened. But here I am. Mm-hmm. And, and you, you, feel, you feel the imposter syndrome very strongly. You, you, sure. It never really goes away. But I, I remember my first thing I struggled with was when I'm trying to explain things to people, like you say, detailed technical instruction, and everyone does this real horrible frowny face at you. And I was thinking, what have I done? What have I done to make these people <laughs> so angry with me? Am I am I talking absolute utter gibberish? What have I have I what have I done to them? And then it took me a while to realise that everybody's thinking face is the same as their angry. They're frowning face because they're not yes. doing the smile. They're just engaged. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So and, 
yeah. and the bit of the brain that processes like verbal descriptions and verbal explanations is mm -hmm. not the bit of the brain that generates movement. Right. So you have to get it from one bit of the brain that doesn't do movement into the movement bit of the brain and everything gets lost in translation. Yes. <laughs> so I, li I like to leave the, the explanations for after they've done it. And then, they, then it doesn't interfere with them being able to do it. Yeah. Then they can understand it and they can put it into that conceptual framework. It's, um, it's nice to get people to just play. Yeah. Uh, and not be afraid of getting it wrong because they don't know what wrong is. That's it. That's a critical thing. Yeah. Yeah. It comes back to failure being survivable. Yeah. Um, emotionally survivable as well as physically. Um, okay. So um, I do have a couple of kind of sort of, they're becoming like standard questions because they tend to elicit interesting answers. Um, okay. So what is the best idea you've never acted on? The best idea I never acted on? Yeah. Give me a moment. That's okay. Oh. <laughs> Everybody has at least one. Um, I think it was shortly after I'd read... That was it. I uh, I came upon the idea of, of mentorship. Right. And I really wanted this to take off, and I really had a lot of faith in it. Because in the school mm -hmm. we have rank... Well, kind of like ranks. There's, yep. only, there's, a, there's a candidati sort of like prospects mm -hmm. type people in yeah. you studenti who are full members and then mm -hmm. you've got after 200 hours of study that's not sparring it's just class time 200 hours of class time you can take a test and become a a, a lariando which is like a graduate and mm -hmm. then and after another 200 hours after that you can become a spadachino or a swordswoman or a swordsman um mm -hmm. and so we've got all these different sort of tiers of experience in the school yep. and you all, all obviously you've always got a broad base and like very in any martial yep. arts school you've got very few black belts tons of white belts yeah and you want to be able to rather than just draining all the energy out of the instructors it would be nice to spread the load amongst the students themselves and have like a Absolutely. kind of mentor so i think i i yeah. started this idea off I started to match people up with the, the newcomers. Oh, so, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because what I found was like, I when I took when I was uh, bequeathed the school of the sword from Caroline and Phil when they retired. Okay. I was doing everything. I was running around doing everything, mm -hmm. all the finances and everything, and I started to try and divvy out uh, some of this responsibility. And I thought that could be a nice thing because everyone who was new was going, "Where do I get gloves from? And what do yeah. I do about this?" And and I was like, go and see your mentor. And they ah, will tell okay. you. So I thought, if everyone's got like a pal, a, a buddy. Like yep. when you're a little kid, you go to school. And they do a lot of this now at schools where a, a child from a couple of years above will show them yep. around. And they'll be, that'll be the person that they yeah. that they refer to when they've got a problem. I don't know how often that works there either. But I think I should probably dig this one up again and put a bit more effort into it because hmm. a lot of the time mentorship happens naturally anyway. Sure. Uh, and I just wanted to encourage that um, so that when people come and join, they feel that... I will always describe the, the school of the sword to me feels like a family. And right. you want like a big brother or sister to look out for you. Um, just so you don't feel so lost. I mean, it can be really bewildering, this 
martial arts journey when you start out and there's so many questions that need answering if you've got someone sort of there for you it makes a big difference so maybe that's something i should look into more okay yeah good idea okay and just so people know who are phil and caroline so uh caroline stewart uh founded the school of the sword in 2002 um it, as i say it was in, it was in oxfordshire at the time and um phil marshall her partner uh, joined not long after and um, when i joined in 2010 they were mm -hmm. both running the school together um and in 2013 uh, they retired and it was left to me and matthew crane who now runs our our reading chapter okay um and in 2018 we opened a, a chapter in, in Oxford again and that's run by uh, my friend Amelia ah okay good to know Amelia Skierman. okay all right so so bringing back a kind of formal I'm not formal is the wrong word but kind of a, a mentorship structure within mm. the school so that new students have an existing student who's not the instructor yeah that's to, another benefit because well yeah because because people can be like you know, they don't want to bother the instructor with their problem or they've, they're either too shy yeah. and don't ask the question or they take up too much of the instructor's time. It's very difficult. Yeah, so it's, some, it's finding that medium, I think. Yeah, well, that's a good idea. Okay. Um, okay, my final question yeah. is somebody gives you a million pounds oh, to spend improving historical martial arts. Now, you can't spend it on your own sword collection. You have to spend it on improving historical martial arts generally, okay? What would you do with it? I would put it into research in making okay. the perfect glove. Ah, okay. <laughs> so you would put it into gauntlet research. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, we. I mean, pro gauntlet has been a long time coming. It's it's here now. Um, Are they any good? I've I've tried a couple on, but I mean, even for what, even for a glove that didn't fit me. It mm -hmm. wasn't too bad, but uh, I think we could do... That's a called damn with faint praise, that is. <laughs> <laughs> for, a, yeah, for a glove that didn't fit me perfectly, it wasn't too bad. There isn't a perfect glove yet, still. Um, I would invest sure. in better mask and gloves. Like, as I said earlier, the masks really haven't changed that much, and I don't think offences... Have, have you come across the Terry Tyndall masks? Oh, the sort of Womble... No, no, hang on. I've, I've, um, these ones. Oh yes, yes, I've seen those. Yeah, yeah. Um, just for people who are not. There's no video on a podcast. So I'll just quickly describe it. It's a steel shell with a leather suspension harness inside it, so the oh. the steel isn't attached to the head. The it can swing. I didn't realise so, about the inner suspension system. That's, that's the thing that actually matters. Yeah. You know, on the outside, it's much like a regular fencing mask, but having a suspension massively improves its um, ability to not direct force coming into the helmet into your head. I believe um, um, Leon Paul have done a similar version, the Melmet. <laughs> okay, I haven't, I haven't seen that. And um, it, it, it's, this, it's, it's got an inner suspension. It looks kind of similar to that, but not quite as cool. I okay. prefer that design. It's okay. got an inner suspension system that disperses it, the force through the shoulders. Oh, okay. So yeah, when like you some of the, um... a strike to the top of the head, you just feel a push on your shoulders. That's a good idea. Okay, if it fits. If it fits. 
Mm. If it's too short, it doesn't distribute the force of the shoulders. And if it's too long, it's going to be floppy and wobbly. And, and these, things, these things aren't light either, are they? That, that, that thing's very light. Um, well, yes, this one, it's, it's a little bit heavier than a regular fencing mask, but yeah. not by much. Not by much. Uh, but I mean, you I need some mass yeah. to absorb the force. With an, with an overlay on, a lot of masks are pretty heavy anyway. Um, yeah, I'm not a fan of the overlays. Yeah. Because it's it's like a boxing glove. It it changes a sharp external whack to more of a push. Right. So that actually make, it shakes the brain around differently. More concussive. I believe so. But yeah, I think um, my million pounds will go on to uh, research into better gear. Because <laughs> okay, <laughs> that's a good choice. Oh uh, yeah, I don't. I'm trying to think of other things that that would be beneficial, but that's my immediate instinct is make the gear better. I mean, we we've okay. come on a long way, but we could always improve. Right. Uh, okay. The other thing was, um, people talk about you know let's have Heman known the world over. Let's have you know my and, and I'm mm -hmm. not saying it's a bad thing to have more HEMA clubs have more people involved in historical fencing but you know where where do you take it because if you're right. trying to sort of grow it are you trying to make it into like a big spectator sport or it can, is it going to be like karate in the 80s is it you know is it going to be mm. what what track you are you going down with this so I think quality over quantity yeah. I, I, I think so make it Obviously, keep obviously keep uh, historical fencing accessible, but make right. it as safe and practicable as possible. And I think that equipment is the uh, is the thing. I'm. I think you touched on this earlier, guy. That I don't, I don't know what your opinion is, but mm -hmm. um, you said you know I, equipment and and practice. So I think you know there is a there is a there is a balancing act, isn't there, between safe practice and protective gear. Um, within the confines of your own school or your own club, it's easier to control things like good practice. Sure. Um, outside of that, you're relying a lot more on your gear. So if you're if you're sparring with people from another group or if you're participating in a tournament, how heavy the other person's going to hit is a complete mystery. So yeah, um, that's when you really need to trust your equipment sure again failure should be survivable failure should be simple survivable survivable <laughs> failure should yes. be survivable that's it yeah okay well that's interesting so a million pounds i think we would we would go a long way towards cracking the the gauntlet problem yeah. with a million quid although I, I i have a like an affection for well they, they spent the equivalent of many millions of quid um, in the medieval period to solve the exact same problem and they came up with solutions which still work it's just they're yeah, really they expensive yeah. so I think the, the, I think the, pro the problem is is we can just make really good steel gauntlets that fit tailor made and they're about as good as you can get in terms of protection but they're like a thousand pounds a pair so yeah getting getting some kind of technological thing maybe they scan your hands with a laser and mm. um, and 3d print 3d print a it. perfectly fitted well that's not actually no. that's that crazy i mean that, that i was reading about uh, a charity that does that for mm -hmm. children who've lost limbs 
Right. There was a couple. I think there was a couple of chaps who were doing it from their shed. They got a three D okay. printer. They got the children, yep. the families to um, uh, send in the details of of the amputation, mm-hmm. and they were three D printing bespoke uh, limbs uh, for for the children at a very affordable price. Um, so it, it it was a lot better than the stuff that they were being offered on the NHS even. Um, Excellent. So I think yeah, I think that's not a bad route to go down. Three D printing things. <laughs> I, I remember one of a, a former member when I started, she was looking into uh, developing an all over sort of onesie, like a sort of okay. form fitting, very yep. futuristic, very marvel esque suit with gel. Yep sort of in strategic places okay um that you'd wear underneath all your gear and that to minimize pain i think but yeah there are all kinds of things that can be done i'm sure yeah we just have to find a million quid the million quid (laughs) (laughs) brilliant okay fran um we're sort of at the end of time so Thank you very much for talking to me this evening. Um, it's been a pleasure seeing you. And uh, where should people go if they want to find you? Thank you very much. Uh, um, so my main hangouts are uh, sword.school, uh, the website for the School of the Sword. Mm-hmm. And I'm on Instagram at, uh, at swordwomen. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can find me there. Or if you just go on Facebook and look up the School of the Sword, that's where we are. Or my other baby, which uh, is uh, something that I started a few years ago, which is Waterloo Sparring. Um, and that's where people tend to congregate if they're travelling through London, humorists. Uh, mm-hmm. We're there most Saturday, well, we were there most Saturday mornings um, for a beer and burgers afterwards, whenever this all kind of goes back well, to normal. Let's hope we can get back there soon. One Brilliant. day. Thank you very much, Fran. Thank you lovely. for having me. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed my conversation today with Fran Laquata. And make sure you go to guywindsor.net forward slash podcast for episode show notes and your free copy of my book, Sword Fighting for Writers, Game Designers and Martial Artists. And please remember to subscribe to the Sword Guy podcast wherever you get your podcasts from. Tune in next week where I'm interviewing Sam Swords.